please remain standing for our scripture lesson out of the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Amen. You may be seated, dear saints. Let's go to the Lord now as we perceive in this text a spectacular worship scene in heaven, which is also reflected among you, the church on earth, as we are one church. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit and the gracious work of God in our midst. Thank you that you've called your elect unto yourself and that you apply Jesus Christ to them and they're built up in their most holy faith. They understand the riches of their inheritance more and more every Sunday. The glorious gospel, the fact of forgiveness, and the wonder of what they are called to do in this world as churchmen that labor in the world, bringing Jesus to others. Feed us Jesus Christ today, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. So the concept of the lamb that was slain governed a lot of the book of Revelation. Some of you were with us through that long series that we enjoyed so much. We meet Jesus Christ throughout this apocalyptic tome, but also through the rest of the Bible in many ways in different types and figures, but not always as the lamb that was slain, this graphic visage we have here in Revelation 5. Precisely because the lamb was slain for God's chosen and elect people, The prophesied historical details concerning the destruction of old Jerusalem, which took place in 70 AD, about which we believe the entire book of Revelation was written, were absolutely necessary because the lamb had been murdered, had been killed. So God now is dealing historically with that fact and the fulfillments of Old and New Testament predictions came true in that prophecy that we read about so often in the book of Revelation. So Jesus Christ is not ashamed of the fact that he died and gave his life for God's elect chosen people from Jew, Gentile, every ethnicity, race, people, group, and nation on earth, every language and every tongue as well. His atoned for ecclesia or church and therefore Let us make it our gospel goal this morning to love and worship the Lamb that was slain as his redeemed church. With that in mind, we're going to look at Revelation 5, 6 through 10. Title of the sermon, The Lamb that was Slain. The doctrine, because the Lamb was slain, he is worthy. Now, dears, if the Son of God, the only one who could redeem sinful humanity, was not killed, slain, slaughtered, murdered, then in this sense of opening the scroll, which is the context, as Elder Craig mentioned at the beginning of chapter 5, he would not have been worthy to open that scroll. 
And this very pattern of death and resurrection that we see in Jesus became and is for us today the template for Christian living. We must die to ourselves, the flesh, the world, the devil, all those things, in order to be risen, Lord's Day to Lord's Day, in Jesus Christ, more conformed to his image, as we are sanctified in him from Lord's Day to Lord's Day. Sin demanded death, even of the precious, infinitely holy and righteous one, Jesus Christ, should any sinner have or enjoy any life whatsoever. The forgiveness of sins, the refreshment of God, the consolation of an uncondemned soul and a clear and completely clean conscience before God because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice. If anyone was to have that, then Christ indeed had to suffer for us. Because the Lamb was slain, he is worthy to be universally praised. In the end of chapter 5 from verses 9 to 14, and obviously we're not going that far today, is remarkable for its emphasis on the Lamb's worship coming from every possible quarter of the created universe. The stars, the anything out there, everything, under the sea, on the sea, in the land, on the sky, in the heavens, everywhere, the Word of God teaches us that Jesus Christ is being worshipped. Even today, on this Lord's Day, there's no question about it. But this adoration starts, as it always does, in the church on the Lord's Day. And in this particular case, it's the church triumphant in heaven that we're reading about in this section of Holy Scripture. But that worship percolates down to us in the church militant. As one church, we worship God together in this wonderful Sabbath convocation of praise of the Holy Trinity through Jesus Christ, the God-man. The sea, even under the realms of the earth, those things are all covered. Now, if we've ever wondered if Jesus Christ is worshipped by every created being, even today, willingly or unwillingly, in accord with somebody's will or completely out of accord with it, we need wonder no more. God has called everyone to worship him. Philippians 2, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And even today, all the saints and all the rebels against God are in one form or another worshiping the Lamb. But there's, had this lamb not been slain, then he would have been a lamb whose purposes as a sacrifice would not have been fulfilled, because that's what lambs were for, were to be slain, to be offered for the sins of others. Had that not happened, then Jesus would not be worshipped as the lamb that was slain. Ours is a bloody religion, dear saints, a very bloody religion. And our Sunday worship of God in Christ Jesus as the church starts with the recognition that our glorious Savior was killed for us. He was slain for us. His body was killed on our behalf. It's a beautiful thing. Because the Lamb was slain, he is worthy to be universally praised and to carry out retributive judgment. 
Now this, of course, is the non-politically correct side of Jesus' ministry, as it is vividly unveiled for us, his church, in this rather explicit book of Revelation, but always in every other part of the Bible as well. Now, a lot of people do not like the idea of Jesus Christ being a conquering king who destroys his enemies. They think because he's a gentle shepherd to his lambs, his church, he's tender and compassionate and gracious with us, that because that's true, he cannot conquer his enemies and destroy them. But that's just a false dichotomy. Both of those things are true. He is indeed gentle and tender and compassionate and gracious with us, his church, but he is also dead set on conquering all his and our enemies, and so are we. Clearly, the Bible in both the Old and New Testament portrays him as such. Chapter 6 and following in the book of Revelation will describe the Redeemer in this particular role as the vindicator of God's righteous revenge on the perpetrators of the now totally hollow religion of the Christ-less Old Covenant practices that were still being carried on in the temple before 70 AD, which are all now moot and of no effect at all because the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, had already been slain and no other Lamb could take his place. Consider that those who want a weak Messiah, one who won't destroy his enemies and the church's foes, get no relief from any of their adversaries either. Not their sin, not hell, not death, not the world, not Satan. They are hopelessly lost without this strong Savior. So the true church dares you should be, and I trust you are, totally grateful and happy that God is actually just and righteous and that he has purposely and mercifully dealt with us, his elect people, in legally, forensically remitting all our sins in the person of the Lamb that was slain, Jesus Christ our Lord, his perfect blood atonement. Let's look at these amazing verses 5, 6 through 10, chapter 5, Revelation, and understand better the rising tide of the slain lamb's glory. It's a rather astounding section of Holy Scripture that we're studying this morning. It's one of the reasons I chose it. I figured that this was a text and a sermon that would be pertinent at any time on any Sunday. And of course it is, no matter what time of the year or anything else. It starts out really almost humbly and lowly, but then it amplifies into a mighty crescendo of praise of the Lamb, just like a lot of good pieces of music do. They start a little bit low and build up into this great climax. Now, may our faith in, love for, and appreciation of Jesus grow, even as we observe together today the rising tide of the slain Lamb's glory. First, Christ appears in absolute power and omniscience. Children, omniscience means knowledge of all things. Verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. 
Now, the hitherto hidden, if you will, lamb from the earlier verses in chapter 5 now comes on the scene for the Apostle John's viewing and ours. He had been spoken of earlier by the elder in verse 5, but now John, the Apostle of Love, the one recipient of this gospel of the apocalypse that we call Revelation, he beholds the Lamb in his Sabbath, Sunday afternoon, nap, dream, vision. And let us carefully note, dears, very important, from whence the Lamb comes, or if you will, from where did the Lamb come? Well, According to the text here in verse 6a, he came from between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. Now, in other words, Jesus, the Lamb of God, is occupying the space, get this, between the human and the divine, between the throne and the elders. After all, he is the God-man, the Son of God, and the Son of Man. That's a very interesting fact about this text, and one that we should really rejoice in. And then we are given two characteristics that immediately applied to this Lamb that was slain, and they are His might, or His power, and His knowledge of all things, omniscience. Now in this case, He is in His his divine nature of knowing all things. Omniscience. And there's, these are not attributes that we would normally or naturally ascribe to a lamb. Maybe some other animal image, a lion, uh, an, an owl, something wise. Something else, but this is applied of a lamb. Now notice that this lamb still bore the marks, as it were, of his crucifixion, as the text reads, a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Now if that's interesting, this next comment I'm going to tell you is even more remarkable, and that is that this lamb is standing. In other words, the slain lamb is standing. This speaks of his resurrection from the dead and his glorious victory over all his foes. His subsequent victory flowing from his resurrection, which we enjoy today. So the text speaks of horns. Incidentally, an interesting article in the latest uh, table talk on that, if you're interested, I just read it the other day. The horns of the altar could be in view here. It speaks of eyes. The horns, in our case here, are certainly power. Eyes are knowledge. Seven spirits are the Holy Spirit. So, dears, true church, children of God, struggling saints, those who have all kinds of problems, who continue to wrestle with the world, flesh, the devil, who are being conformed in the image of God, be encouraged. Your Savior is both powerful and wise and all-knowing. And this is a good thing. The rising tide of the slain Lamb's glory, Christ appears in absolute power and omniscience. Next, 
The Father vests, V-E-S-T-S, vests Jesus with complete honor, verse 7. And he, the Lamb, went and took the scroll from the right hand of him, the Father, who was seated on the throne. So in this verse, the Father on the throne hands this all-valuable scroll, which we are not explicating in great detail this morning, to his son, the lamb who had been slain. The son, the lamb, takes the scroll from the father's right hand, much like he, Jesus, took from the father's right hand the righteous wrath against the sins of you and me and all the elect church of all ages and all times. He took that wrath, that righteous wrath of God who was holy and just. Now, Jesus' taking of the scroll from his Father's right hand also shows forth the absolute authority that now the Father and the Holy Spirit is bestowing on the Lamb who had been slain, the Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. And that is because the Son had been faithful in his role of dying for and rising from the dead for his church, which the Holy Trinity had elected and predestined before the foundation of the universe. And these verses that Elder Craig read earlier from Isaiah 53 speak of this glory. Now, the recognition by the elders of the triumphant church in heaven and the angelic hosts in heaven of the Lamb's comprehensive authority will be directly tied to Christ, the Lamb's taking of the scroll from the fathers. We'll read about it a little bit more in verses 8 and following. And this is also why we worship the Lamb of God and the Father and the Son through him on the resurrection days, the day of victory, the day of rest, the day of worship, Sunday, the new Sabbath day, the special day of the week on which we rest from all our labors and we enter into a special and wonderful time of fellowship with God and with each other. Because Jesus is Lord, King, and Sovereign with the Father and the Holy Spirit. The rising tide of the slain Lamb's glory. Christ appears in absolute power and omniscience. The Father vests Jesus with complete honor. And finally, Heaven adores the Savior who fully redeemed his church, verses 8 through 10. And when he, Christ, had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and nation and people and every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This is the text that finally settled for me the whole question of exclusive psalmody, which I have great respect for among our Reformed and Puritan tradition. But this is the one that um, allowed me to see that we are uh, in a good accord to sing sometimes new songs as the church militant on earth. Because they're singing them up there, we can sing them down here too. And the contents of the new song are seen right there 
in verses 9 and following, verse 10. So this burgeoning wave of the worship of the Lamb totally fills heaven itself here. But as the subsequent verses will explain, and of course we're not going to be continuing in them at this time, the adulation also spills out over heaven and comes down and saturates the entire earth too. Now isn't that a beautiful picture? That adulation comes down into the church on earth. That's good news for us, church militant today. Verses 8 to 10 are truly magnificent ones. You and I, even on this very Sunday, this Lord's Day, are fully, completely, perfectly represented in heaven by the Lamb, our substitute, our Savior, our Elder brother, our Lord, our King, our Sovereign, Jesus Christ. We are fully represented by the Lamb. And even our in themselves imperfect, yet in Christ perfect prayers are seen there too. When you offer a prayer in sincerity in and through Jesus Christ as the church or an individual member therein, God receives that, anoints it with Jesus' blood atonement, and accepts it as perfect in his sight through Jesus Christ. And your prayers ascend up there too. When you sang the hymns and the Psalter earlier today, when you joined me in the pastoral prayer, the prayers of the saints here that we had together, when we opened up with an invocation, when we close with a benediction, when we pray around the Lord's table today, our prayers together are there. That's an encouragement, isn't it? The saints and angels in heaven sing what is called a, quote, new song in verses 9 and 10. And the new song is appropriate for you, the church on earth, to intone as well. And it all focuses on the worthiness, worth, and wonder of the Lamb and what he has already done for us, the church militant here on earth. Remember, much of the book of Revelation and most of the Bible is written for us here where we really need the grace of God. After we're dead and gone in heaven, we won't need faith or hope, but here we need both of them. And we have them in Jesus Christ, and we have a full, abundant measure of it, even though we continue to struggle and we have to grow in this grace and knowledge of him. Now, it's no surprise that the elders in glory were so excited, according to this text. Why were they thrilled? Because Jesus now had his kingdom. It had come. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray that back in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6, I believe, that was before he had risen from the dead. Now, the kingdom had come in his person as he was walking on earth, but now that kingdom has come completely. And God has his princes and princesses, you, the members of the church, He has his kings and rulers, and you are the ones that rule and reign on the earth. 
Now we do, we do it in the ways the world doesn't. We do it in love, humility, faith, meekness, confidence, respect, honor, treating people the way we ought to. We do it in a way that is revolutionary, impossible, completely out of accord with human nature, but that's what we do. And we reign over and come from, as verse 9b states, every tribe and language and people and nation. It's not now just Judah and Israel, it's all people everywhere. You know, there isn't a people group on earth that doesn't have an elect person in it. Yes, God has his people in every place. And he's bringing them together more and more. Lord's Day to Lord's Day. Now the new song the elders and the living creatures sang in verses 9 and 10 was one of kingdom fulfillment. Fulfillment, if you will, of the Psalters or the book of Psalms, many exhortations to sing new songs. If you know your Psalms, you know that that's true. David and other Psalter writers would say that. As in Psalm 96 one and 98 one are just two examples where we're exhorted to sing new psalms which has always been sort of an irony isn't it because if you're an exclusive psalmist which again I greatly appreciate them and have great respect for them you're actually singing psalms that are telling you to sing new psalm songs so here we have the fulfillment of those new songs if you will because all the nations tribes peoples have come into the new covenant church these were songs of declaration of the slain lamb and the risen lamb's rule and reign on earth, then and now, in heaven and on earth. Praise God, dear saints. Praise God that you, the saints of God, are embraced by this wonderful, powerful, gracious, kind God. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You know we like to do some more application. Let's do that this morning. And consider why the slain part of the, slain, of the lamb that was slain is so key. Lest the saints uh, make up Christ's kingdom of his militant church on earth should ever be tempted to lose our perspectives, our humility, or our way, we are reminded by God in his gospel word that death is always necessary and that without death we experience no resurrection life in Christ our risen king. You know, there's false gospels, and you know there are plenty of them out there. Feel-good gospels, make-up, you know, make-believe gospels, false gospels run away from this death issue. The slain ingredient of the equation of the real and good news for sinners. Ours is a bloody religion. We had to have a murdered Messiah in order to have any salvation. It's not a clean, sanitary religion, there. Therefore, let us more thoroughly contemplate why the slain part of the lamb that was slain is so key. Because without the Son of God's death, there is no salvation or forgiveness. Most of us, I would venture to say, probably don't think enough about death. Now think about this with me. Even in heaven, according to today's scripture lesson, death is being spoken of by these characters that are involved in this pericope of Scripture. And in a very real sense, death here in this text is being mocked and taunted because death could not hold the Lamb of God who had been slain. 
He was now standing as the resurrected Lord and King and Sovereign over all. But still, the reality and the importance of the Lamb's death is highlighted as being of first and primary significance. The second person of the Holy Trinity, Christ, does not initially appear in the heavenly court and in the throne room as the Lamb that was crowned, but as the Lamb that was slain. Now, he is the crowned Son of God in heaven, ruling and reigning over everything, all the creation, and especially tenderly his own church. But first, he appeared as the lamb that was slain because he had to offer that blood sacrifice before the Father, if you will, in the eternal temple in heaven on behalf of the elect saints of the true church, Jew and Gentile. His crowning praises do come to him precisely because he was willing to sacrificially give himself for you, his church. Now for you who are members of that body of true believers, you and I have much cause for thanksgiving and rejoicing because the Lamb died for our sins. Our sins. And he has fully atoned for them. Why the slain part of the Lamb that was slain is so key because without the Son of God's death there's no salvation or forgiveness and because this explains Jesus' revenge on his enemies in the book of Revelation. So it will be the all-important concept of the lamb that was slain that will give legs to so much of the balance of this long apocalyptic letter to the seven Asia Minor congregations to which it was originally penned. Jesus himself, if you were in the series you remember this, had promised the unbelieving and hypocritical Judeans of his generation that God's revenge would fall on them in their own era. Here are the Messiah's words as they're recorded for us in Luke 21, 22. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill what is written. That's the other part of the lamb that was slain. We talked about that earlier. The gigantic covenant economy change was a huge and spellbinding event and a subject over which the prophets spilled a lot of inspired ink, that this would happen in time and space, that the Lamb would give his life, die, rise from the dead, ascend into heaven, and gather together an elect church from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And the book of Revelation was the last receptacle of that fulfillment from a canonical point of view. So God's perfect justice is righteous retribution or revenge against sin also applies to us, dear church. We're not here to beat up on the world. We're we're here to recognize that we were also sons and daughters of Adam in the fall, haters of God and rebels against him. The righteous retribution or revenge against our sin applies to us. But instead of it, God's revenge falling on our persons, it was fully and completely expended on the divine human person of the Son of God, the Lamb himself, who we will celebrate in that supper, Lord willing, very soon. You who are covered by Jesus' blood atonement today, 
who could and did receive your father's absolution, assuring you that all your sins are gone. You people are the beneficiaries of the greatest gift that could ever be. And this gift is apprehended by grace through faith in the Lamb that was slain, Jesus Christ the Lord. And you also, in a very real sense, with the saints in Revelation chapter 5, are singing new songs of praise of the Lamb, and you are, as verse 10 averts, kings and priests to God. We saw that. Deacon Brian taught us that in 1 Peter today, that the church is the kingdom of God, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are the kings and queens, the priests of God, offering holy sacrifices, not for sin, but sacrifices of praise to God. And you reign on the earth today. Even if no one else knows it, you're the ones who are in charge. Should we not rejoice at such a great and high noble standing and place in the economy and kingdom of God? But it requires a lot of humility, grace, meekness, faith, patience, encouragement, strength, each other, the church, the worship day, the sacraments, the means of grace prayer, preaching. We can't do it alone. That's why we're here. God has provided us everything we could ever need or want. And should we not also publish or proclaim or speak of this great and glorious good news to others who are outside of Jesus Christ like we were? Yes, we should. Beloved, the lamb that was slain is also the lion of the tribe of Judah. You, the new Jew-Gentile, new covenant church, are the new Judah, And for this blessed gospel fact, may we always love the Lamb that was slain. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for that. We do love the Lamb that was slain. And now we get to see him in this table of the Lord. We pray that you'll bless us as we partake of Jesus in the sacrament, as we have here in the sermon. May we love the Lamb that was slain, the Lamb that stands, the Lamb who bore the marks, still does, of crucifixion, the Lamb who rules and reigns over all, the great Lamb of God, Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.